Amen. So, we are continuing this morning in our series on grace, and today our, our topic, our title is Grace to be Secure. So straight off the bat, we're going to go straight into the Bible. So can you all turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and verses 8 to 10. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. As always, we want to be getting our hope, our encouragement from the Word of God. Starting in verse 8 then. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we've been looking at this topic of grace for a few weeks now, and when Sai first introduced the series, he kind of used this definition, which was, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, okay? So that when we talk about grace in this series, what we're talking about is that God coming and saving us through Jesus dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, bearing the wrath of God against our sin on our behalf so that we could be with God. Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything that we're going to do. Okay, so when we talk about the grace of God in this whole series, that's what we're talking about. God giving us what we don't deserve in Jesus. And this morning, the, the kind of the case that I want to lay before you and, and what I believe the text is, is saying of us and of God and about the grace of God is this, that because our salvation is by grace, we are secure. And that security should produce in us good works. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Because our salvation is by grace, we are secure. And that security should produce in us good works. So straight off the bat, all cards on the table, that's where we're going this morning. That is what I believe the text is trying to convince us of. And one of the ways that we see this is because actually Paul, in just three verses, he labors this point and he stresses it and stresses it that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And the reason that he seems to labor, it, labor this point so much, to, to go into the details of it so much, is because of what that results in, which is confidence and security for us, that it empowers us to live lives for Jesus every day when we know this and get this truth. So in verse 8, he states, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that the grace of God and Jesus dying for us and paying the penalty for our sins, that, that we access that grace. We access what Jesus has done for us through faith. But then the point that he goes on to stress is actually a really important one, and that that faith is not our own doing. So it's not something that we just get up in the morning and decided one day, oh, I think I'll believe in God today and I'll decide to follow Jesus. That that's not actually the way it works at all. But what happens is that the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts in faith to see God as real and true and to see what Jesus has done for us as real and true. And this leads us to repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness and then to live our lives following Jesus with our whole hearts. And that is what saving faith is. That is what the faith that God gives us is. And actually, it's very different from, from like intellectual assent, Okay. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is that the saving faith that God gives is so much different from, 
Yeah, I believe that Jesus lived. I even believe that he lived, he rose again. And it had no impact on our lives whatsoever. You can intellectually say, yeah, this is a thing, and it has no impact on your life whatsoever. That's not faith, and it's not the faith that God gives us. The faith which God produces in our hearts by his spirit is different. It completely transforms and changes us precisely because it's a work of grace, because it's the work of God in our hearts. Because Paul says that it is God's workmanship, that we are his workmanship. We are the work of his hands, the product of what he does in our lives. And then he goes on to make an even greater point, which is that we are created in Christ Jesus. That we are created in Jesus. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that what he does is a work of creation in our lives. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That they are made new. Now obviously that's not physically, that's not a reality we experience now, although the Bible says we will one day. But that actually what happens is spiritually, in the very deepest part of ourselves, our souls get transformed and made completely new. That when we are saved by grace through the faith that God gives us, we are made new. We are new creations. The creator God has recreated us, and that points towards the day when we will be physically recreated and made completely new and with God for all eternity. And what I want us to understand this morning, Christchurch, is that this, this is the best possible news that we had as much to do in getting our salvation and being saved as we did in being conceived. That the part that we play in our salvation and being saved and coming to know Jesus is the same part that we played in our conception, which is just completely passive. That we are saved by grace through faith, which he has given to us, that we are his workmanship and new creations created in him because of what he has done on the cross. And the reason why that is the best possible news, and the reason why this makes us so secure, is because of what Paul explains in verse 9. Because it's not by works, so that no one can boast. Because that's why Jesus came, right? So the book of Hebrews in chapter 8 talks about how if the first way of doing things, the first way of relating to God through, through the law, through doing things, was good and perfect and worked, then there would be no need for God to try and redo it again in Jesus. God has given the law in the Old Testament. He gave it to the Israelites. And the story of the people of God, since he gave them the law, is them of one of them utterly failing to keep it. The whole Old Testament, the whole story of Israel is the story of them turning to other gods, not obeying the law, failing to do as God asks, and then God mercifully saving them, and then just repeating the cycle and going round and round and round. And the problem's not with the law. The problem's not with what God has said to do, the way that God has said to live. That's not the problem. The Bible is so clear about that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to do away with what God had said. He came to fulfill what God had said. So then what is the problem? 
What's the issue? If God has given this law, this words that are good, a way for us to live that is good and can lead us to him, what is the issue then? And the issue is our hearts. Our hearts lead us to sin even when we know what is right. Even when we know what is right, our hearts lead us into sin. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, who's one of the apostles of Jesus, in Romans chapter 7, he explains this reality for him. And he says it this, like this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so what he's saying is, he's saying that in and of myself, before Jesus, without the power of God in my life, I wanted to do what was right. Paul knew the law. Paul was a Pharisee. He like knew it off by heart. And yet he found in himself a complete inability to do what was right. And how many of us would have said that's the truth for us before we started following Jesus as well? That actually we knew what was right. We knew right from wrong. We knew what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. And yet we still did it. Just seemed to have an inability not to do it. An inability to stop doing what we knew was wrong. And so do you see now the awesome truth of being saved by grace? And the reason that we need it to be that way. Because we can't work our way to God. There's no way. We can't earn it. We, we would never deserve it. Because outside of Jesus and his work in our lives, we are incapable of not sinning. We are completely incapable of not sinning. So God, in his grace, through the sacrifice of Jesus, provides a way for us to hear the gospel, then awakens faith in our hearts by his Holy Spirit as a gift, so we repent and believe in Jesus. And as we do that, we are made new. And the issue that is stopping us from being with God, the fact that our hearts lead us to sin, is completely done away with because we get new hearts. Our hearts are completely transformed, that we are new creations from the inside out, spiritually recreated, so that we can now obey Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can actually do it. We can actually be with him and live the life that he's called us to live that leads us to him. And even when we don't, we're not condemned. We're not cast away from the presence of God. But by the grace of God in Jesus, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are perfectly loved, fully, freely, forever. So do you see the security that we have in our salvation being by grace. That God's grace secures our salvation. The fact that it is God that has done it. That we are his workmanship. That we are his new creations. Absolutely, unequivocally, eternally secures our salvation in so that no one may boast. See, Paul goes on to explain this in verse 9. Because God saves by grace, because he loves you, and because he is good. 
But God also saves by grace because he is glorious and he is God and he does not share the stage with anyone. There is no cause for boasting or pride. The only reason that you are saved is because of this incredible, awe-inspiring, mind-boggling truth that the God of all creation stepped down and took the punishment you deserved. He gets the glory. He alone is worthy of worship and praise. He alone has the power to break shame and sin and darkness. And he alone is gracious and has the ability to show grace. Our security is in God's great love for us, displayed in the grace of God and Jesus on the cross. And our security is in the glory of God, who alone may boast that he is the good and gracious one. Awesomely, both of those truths work together for our good. So some key characters in the United States have actually spoken out about this truth, the idea that God is for his glory and does things for that. So Oprah Winfrey um, and Brad Pitt are actually two people that say that when they heard that truth in church, that's what caused them to walk away from God. I think there's a lot of reasons that caused them to walk away from God. But actually the reality is, I don't think they got it. Because God being for his glory is displaying that in his grace towards us. So the more that he is glorious, the more grace he has for us. And that both of those things work together for our good. And that security that we then have, the fact that we are saved by grace through nothing we did, through what God has done for us, and that that is secured because he is for his glory and displays that in his grace to us, that security should produce something in us. And the reason for that is that the grace of God is not isolated from the rest of our lives. So grace is not just for salvation. So it's not, okay, I'll put my faith and trust in Jesus, and that's the grace bit, and then I've got to live my life, and I've got to try and do this, and I've got to try and not mess up. And I, That's not what it is. The grace of God in Jesus is not isolated from our everyday lives. The grace of God and the security that that brings defines every day of our lives. Because by the grace of God, every day, we wake up. And by the grace of God, every day, we draw in a breath. And by the grace of God, every day, he gives us coffee so that we can wake up. And by the grace of God, every day, we go to work. We speak to our friends. We speak to our family. And every day, by his grace, we are a new creation. That truth isn't true once. That truth is true for as long as you are here and present on this earth and then into eternity. That every day, by his grace, we are adopted sons and daughters. That every day, by his grace, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that knowledge, that security, that confidence produces something in us. And the thing which God produces in us is good works. So in verse 10, Paul says that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved us by his grace so that we can walk in what he has for us. 
And good works are not the currency by which we're saved, but they are the product. It's not the currency by which we're saved, but it is the product. We don't earn our salvation by doing things to earn it, but that God produces in us good works, good things to do that he has for us as a result. And the reason why this can be so is so important for us to grasp about this security and what he has for us is because security can lead to a couple of things. And security often leads to either complacency or confidence. Those are two things that security, being secure, can often lead us to. So complacency being kind of either a false security or, or a lack of an understanding of the grace of God. Whereas confidence in God's grace leads us to walk into all that God has for us. So let me just illustrate kind of this this idea with a bit of an analogy. So when a guy is pursuing a girl, he does absolutely everything, right? He maybe goes to the gym a little bit more, starts jogging a little bit more, dresses a little bit better. He will kind of put on his best I don't know, presence around there, he'll try and be funny, he'll try and be witty, try and be intelligent, try and do everything possible to convince her to go out with him or to marry him. And what you can often find is when you get to that point of security where where the girl either agrees to marry him or the girl agrees to date him, you can have those two responses, right? That he can kind of go into complacency where he's like, well, I've got her, I told her I loved her, I said it on my wedding day. You know, just kind of just gives up just kind of coasts along, does the bare minimum, just doesn't really do anything, just gets really complacent. Because he feels secure, right? There's a ring on the finger. I've got it. I've done it. The hard work is over. Or, and this is the right response, gents, just letting you know. Um, Or that security can actually produce confidence. It can actually produce this confidence that goes, actually, I'm going to keep pursuing that girl. I'm going to keep going after her heart. I'm going to keep doing things. I'm going to keep surprising her. I'm going to work really hard to continue to pursue her and to do things together and to be all that I can be for her. But that, that's two responses that are often led that way, aren't they? Like when you've got um, a job offer, sometimes that can happen as well, can't you? If, you? if you're working in a workplace and someone said that the promotion is secured, you can kind of rest back a little bit on your laurels and just be like, well, it's mine, isn't it? I deserved it. I've been here for ages. And as you get complacent, you lose the promotion. Whereas actually, if that promotion leads you to a confidence, if actually that security and going, actually, no, well, we feel like you're the best person for this job, we've got to interview some other people, that should lead to a confidence going, actually, no, they think I'm good at this, let me prove it. Let me go for it. Let me let that security that I feel like I have do more in me, not less. And that's what the grace of God and security in the grace of God can do to us. So complacency says, well, I've been saved not through anything I've done. So that means I can sin and be forgiven, and it's all chill. We're fine, we're good. I didn't do anything to deserve it, and so I've not got to do anything to keep it. So it's just, it's, it's, it's chill. Just do what I want. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's this Christian leader in Germany, at like the height of Nazi Germany, so he's like undercover, 
he actually writes this book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he actually talks about this concept because actually this was an issue in the German church because actually what Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw was all these Christians allowing Hitler to get away with all of these things and just going, well, we can't really do anything about it or making all these excuses. And he, and he actually he calls it cheap grace. And he, like, he condemns it as this attitude of the account's been paid in full, so we get everything for nothing. So the price has been paid, which means that we get absolutely everything and have to do nothing for it. But that's not true. Grace isn't cheap. Grace is costly. It cost God everything. To have a view of grace to being cheap, that we can sin and get away with it because, you know, God's good and he's gracious, shows a lack of understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says it like this. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It cost God the life of his only beloved son. And to treat his grace cheaply shows a dangerous lack of understanding of it. Grace isn't cheap. The grace of God cost him absolutely everything. And so our response cannot be to treat God's grace cheaply. The grace of God should always lead to repentance and to obedience. And we need to be aware of the security that we have in God's grace and what it should produce in us because Satan can otherwise use things like this to trap us and lead us into temptation. Like this is a lie that Satan loves to tell. Well, you're saved by grace. It's fine. Like you can get, like it's fine. God will forgive you. So some of you here know my story a little bit in that I had a battle with an addiction to pornography as an early teenager and actually didn't get set free from that until I was 18. And actually, in the deepest throes of, these, of this struggle, in the, in the deepest times, in the worst, like the very heart of the battle, in the heat of the battle, when I was feeling so tempted or trying to fight against that temptation, when stuff would rise up in me or I'd, I'd, just, I'd see something and it would produce a response in me, that was being whispered in my ear. Oh, it's okay, it's fine, God forgives you. Like, you're saved by grace, just, it's okay, just do it. And I have to say to my shame, like, early on, I listened to that lie. I allowed it to, to give me the excuse I wanted to hear to go into the temptation and the stuff that I knew was wrong. I knew wasn't for my good. And yet the more I walked with God, the more I understood what the grace of God was in Jesus, and the more I fought back in the power of the Holy Spirit to that lie with the truth about what the grace of God really is, gave me strength to win that battle and that fight against that sin in my life. I'm not free from the temptation of it, and I don't think I'm ever going to be free from the temptation of it. But the security that I have in the grace of God and what it produces in me and what it costs to produce that in me is a powerful weapon with which to fight back against the lies of the enemy. And I know that grace wasn't cheap. And I know that it cost God everything. 
And I know I was bought with a price. And so it leads me to repent and want to live a life of obedience. And I know that complacency doesn't just come out of that place. But complacency can also come out of a place of fear. Or out of a lack of experience in this grace that I've just told you is true. The belief that you don't deserve the grace of God in Jesus. So, and you're not worth it. And so you're afraid to lose it. You're afraid that if you step out in living what, in what God has said for you and you fail, then God is all of a sudden going to notice and go, how did they slip through? And, it's, and it is kind of funny, but at the same time, actually, how many of us actually feel like that? If I step out and I do something and I fail at that thing, then God is going to know that I really am not worthy and he's going to take it away. That that fear actually leads to a complacency. Actually, because that fear is there, Satan doesn't have to lie to you about anything because you're taking yourself out of the game. I, don't, I, don't, I can't do it because if I do it and I fail, that God will know that I'm not worthy. And if that's you this morning, can I just say, God sees you. God knows you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For you. Jesus died for you knowing full well that you were a sinner. Knowing what you had done and the state of your heart and the state of your life. But that's not who he sees now. That's not what he sees now that you are in him. Now that you've been saved by grace through the faith that he's given you. Who he sees now is a beloved son or daughter. Someone who has Jesus' righteousness. An eternal image bearer of him. One in whom he delights because of his grace to you on the cross. Because that's who you are. You are a new creation by his grace. So if you are in that place of fear this morning, that place of not really feeling like you don't deserve it, and if you step out, then God's going to notice and he's going to take it away from you. Would you hear that this morning? Would you respond to him and live that life of secure confidence in the knowledge of the grace of God to you in Christ? That you are secure, that God doesn't take grace away. Because you're saved by grace through the faith he gives you, you're, you're his workmanship. And because he is for his glory, and he's, his glory means he is gracious to, to you. But instead, the grace of God in our lives should fill us with this secure confidence. To walk in all that he has for us. Knowing that he loves you, is for you, and has done everything for you to live a life of freedom, love, joy, peace, and purpose, obeying God and glorifying him through your life. We, and we know what this looks like, right? So good works is, is something that we kind of like can put into a category, but we, we know what this looks like. This looks like loving God with all that we've got. It means pursuing him in worship and in prayer and in his word. It means not compromising on our sin but repenting and confessing it to brothers and sisters and asking them to help you resist that temptation. It looks like loving our neighbor. It looks like seeing needs and being generous. Being generous in love, in support, in, in encouragement, and in giving of your time. It means pursuing justice and being a voice for the oppressed and for the marginalized. It means when someone's being bullied, when someone's being downtrodden, or when your manager is being a jerk to someone at work for no reason, that you say something 
and you speak up for people that don't have a voice. It means serving the church and using the gifts that God has given you, encouraging the people of God, praying for them, caring for them, having them around for dinner, and sacrificially giving and tithing so that the purposes of God can continue in the town that you're in. It means turning up to Love Hailsham, turning up to prayer meetings, turning up to Sunday mornings. It means being present with your friends. Being, you know, there's this huge push at the minute in the media and over social media with this trying to really push against kind of depression and, and the high suicide rates, particularly amongst guys. And so this whole idea that if, if you're at the pub and there's a mate missing, text them. Or to open up to the people around you. And it's not a new concept, right? Like the God has said repeatedly that we're a people for community and that we're about family and we are to support and care for one another. And actually, we should be the model to people that if our mates are not around, if our mates are struggling, we should be the people there. You know, we, me, me and Hannah have experienced that multiple times. You know, in, this, in the past week, like, we've had a bit of a rough week the week before, and actually we had friends, the same friends actually, drop around loads of frozen portions of mac and cheese for us to go through, and a cake. Like, and actually just the knowledge that there's people there to support us and love us, like, it really helped. And it wasn't super spiritual. But actually it was really spiritual, because it was them producing the love of God in their lives towards us. It means loving your spouse, it means loving your kids, and it means raising your children in the love and fear of the Lord. It's it's all of those things and more. It's all the things that Jesus commands us to do. It's all the things that he models for us to do. It's the life that he models for us to live in him. Those are the good works. And we don't do it because if we don't do it, God takes his grace away. And we don't do it wringing our hands and going, oh, I've got to do this. We do it because God has saved us by his grace through nothing that we've done. And that produces in us a thankfulness, a gratitude, a repentance, and a desire to obey him with everything we've got. And if that doesn't produce that in us, we haven't yet got the grace of God in our lives. And we need to ask him, Lord, would you help me understand it more? Help me get your grace more so that I can know what you have done for me and I can live a life of obedience and faith this morning. And we're all on a journey of that. I have not got it all. People who have been walking with Jesus for 50, 60 plus years have not got it all. But we should be pursuing it. Knowing the grace of God makes us secure and that security leads us to live out a life for him. We've been saved by grace through faith. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And may God motivate our hearts to hear that this morning. And if you're here this morning and you want to respond to that, can I just encourage you? In a way, we should be all responding to it because actually in a way we should all be going, actually, God, thank you for reminding me of your grace. Help me to understand it more. That's what I've been doing all week as I've been preparing this. But actually, if you're someone who's sitting there going, actually, I want to I be more confident. I want to know more of how secure I am in Jesus. Then would you come and respond for that? If you're someone who's sitting there going, actually, like, I, feel, I feel a little bit guilty because actually I use that excuse all the time. 
that God's grace is over me and that's, so that's why I do these things and that's why I sin. Would you come and repent of that this morning? Actually, if you're living in fear that God is going to take his grace away, that he's going to see that you shouldn't really belong here, would you come and be set free from that lie this morning? Let us respond as a people of God to the grace of God in our lives in Jesus. I'm just going to invite the band back up and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. God, the good news that we are saved by grace through faith that you give us and not by anything that we've done or we're doing. Lord, that leads us to security, that leads us to a safety and the knowledge that you will always be with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, that you have promised, Lord Jesus, you promised, Lord, that those who you are given, you will keep. And Lord, we pray that that security, as you reveal that to our hearts, would lead in us, Lord, a confidence to live lives of power and obedience for you. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.